Neha, what's the tea? You mean the novelty? Welcome to The Novelty, a podcast dedicated to books. Not just the Western male-centric works from your high school lit class. We'll also read books by women, people of color, and from around the world. We'll dive into literary technique and character analysis. But don't worry, we aren't afraid to spill the tea and give our unfiltered opinions. Together, we'll redefine the classics. Will today's pick stand the test of time? Keep listening to find out. This week, we're reading The Namesake, published by Chumpa Lahiri. Before we get into the book and all of our thoughts about it, Neha, what theme did you pick to read this book through? The theme that I picked was alienation that comes with the Indian immigration experience. What about you? What did you pick? Uh, The theme I picked was guilt. And I picked that theme because I feel like from my own experience and from friends, families, it's really a very central emotion to a lot of South Asian immigrant families. And I wanted to see what I could, like how it would be different in this book or, or what, how it would manifest. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I picked alienation because I feel like it's something that we could give light to since it's something that the both of us have gone through before. And it's an unfamiliar experience for like the general public. Cool. Okay, I'm going to summarize the book. The namesake is the story of the Gungulis who migrate from India to the United States, where they raise their children, Gogol, or Nikhil, and Sonia. It depicts the struggle in finding your identity with having different cultural backgrounds. Do you have anything to add to my summary, or do you think it was good? I think that was good, and I think we can get into it. Um, All right. So where did you see your theme in the book? So let's start, like, where the book starts off and that's with Ashima and Ashok moving to this new country with basically nothing they're both strangers to each other as well because it's an arranged marriage and they don't know the language that well they don't know the culture of the area that well and I feel like this is such an experience that most of our parents who are Indian immigrants have gone through that we don't really talk about that much and me moving to another country with a stranger that is my husband with no money or like no idea what job I'm going to do or anything is something that I would never do right now in my current life. Like I wouldn't ever choose to do that, but it is something that most of our parents did. My parents had an arranged marriage. Did your parents have an arranged marriage? Yeah, they did too. They got married and a week later they were like moving Both of us have read this book before. We were teenagers when we first read it. And so we are kind of reading this book for a second time with with like a different perspective because we've aged like 15 years probably. And uh, I feel like we're no longer relating to Gogol as the main character, but I'm kind of looking at it in the perspective of Ashima and Ashok a little bit more because I feel like as I'm getting older I'm like turning into my parents and so I think I felt m- way more for Ashima and Ashok than I when I was reading it this time around than when I did 15 years ago. Yeah I think I felt similarly. I don't remember how I felt when I first read the book. I don't know how much I connected with Google but this time reading it I definitely empathize a lot more with Ashima and and the parents than Gogol and mm-hmm. I, we'll get into this he was like 
a very frustrating character for me. <laughs> but um, I, whenever he was mean to them or when he was like ashamed of his family, I just felt really angry. And yeah. I, I felt like I was feeling those emotions that Ashima and Gogol felt. I mean, Ashima and Ashok felt. But they almost didn't even express it. They just kind of internalized it. And they're probably hurt by it, but um, they just dealt with it. What about you? What was the first theme of guilt that you saw in the book? I guess the first time was the same as what you said when they were in the hospital and she was giving birth to the to the baby Gogol. And the line is, is she says, it is not so much the pain, which she knows somehow she will survive. It's the consequence motherhood in a foreign land. And so I saw guilt there, but Somehow throughout the book, I don't think Ashima's life was governed by guilt. I think I saw Gogol's life really being governed by guilt. Like The more I read, the more I was like, this whole book is about guilt. But Ashima, I think she feels some regret and she yearns for her family a lot and the life that she maybe left behind. But it felt like Gogol had a much stronger sense of guilt throughout that he wasn't able to grapple with very well. Even at the end, when that book ends, it's not a happy ending. No, it's not. And I think I was surprised by the ending for some reason, because I, I guess it's been so long since I read the book that we'll, we'll get there. One thing I wanted to talk about was, I guess it's kind of the crux of the whole book, but the significance of names in the book, because obviously... The whole thing starts with Gogol not being having not having an official name because they have to decide in the hospital. And so he gets a nickname. But over the years, just he uses both names. He switches back and forth. And how does the I guess the question I had that I was struggling to find an answer to is how does him adopting both names enable him to separate his identities? From his first from when he's born to like his teenage years he he doesn't fully under he hasn't been out in the world yet he doesn't all he knows is his home and his parents so I think in that situation he is Gogol and that's all he knows but is when he moves on to go to school and make friends and most of his friends are, are American friends that's when he starts to realize that he's different and he doesn't like that so that's when he switches to Nickel and that happens throughout most of the rest of the book I think, where he doesn't like his home name, Gogol. He likes Nickel. He likes the person he is when he's Nickel. And so I don't think he is ever in a situation where he's okay with both the names. I think. Yeah. Well, since you say that, I think there's an interesting switch that happens in the book because most of the book is, we start out a little bit with Ashima's perspective, but most of the book is Gogol's perspective. And then in the middle towards the end of the book there's this point where so Mashimi is one of the only people who knows both of his names and there's a point in the book after they're married they're having a dinner party and she lets it slip that he has a different name and he's really angry and she doesn't really know what she's done but at that point the book switches perspectives to Mashimi's point of view and I thought that was interesting because then suddenly there's this gap and we don't know what Gogol is going through. And by the time we get back to his perspective, he seems to almost be in a worse off place. Like you would think that maybe now he's old enough, he can reconcile both of his names, both of his identities. But it almost seems like the fact that everyone now knows 
makes it even more disconnected. Yeah, and there's also a passage, but it's around that time where Mao Shami lets it slip. And she mentions that she likes that Gogol changed his name. She says something along the lines of like, I like him when he's nickel. And I like that he, that we don't have the same connection that we did when we were children. And the fact that he changed his name in the middle of that makes it easier for her to accept him as his husband, as her husband. And I think that's the problem there. Like, I think nickel is like also under the impression that people like him better as nickel near the end of the book when Moshami has her affair kind of starts to go back into accepting his name as Gogol for the first time since he was prepubescent basically yeah it's almost like when you have an insecurity about yourself and it's fine that you have it but when someone else acknowledges it or agrees with it it's more hurtful and so he has this internal issue with his names and but then when she verbalizes it and and says that she agrees with it and that's actually part of what makes her like him it kind of puts him into crisis is a strong word but it puts him into a different frame of thought for him to think about why he was like this why he's with her but also since you mentioned the affair can we talk about that for a minute <laughs> because it was so random i think I get why, I don't think the affair was random. I understand maybe why, from a literary point of view, she was trying to write it that way, or, like, why that character, Moshimi, would have an affair. But this guy is, like, the creepiest guy ever. (laughs) And, like, they interacted for, like, a month when she was in college, and she, like, randomly calls him up. I just found that very difficult to believe. It was, it was heartbreaking for me to read, because when Gogol and... Mashami find each other I like my heart was happy because I was like oh like Gogol's finally found someone that he can relate to and somebody from his past that he loves and like just the way the author describes his love for her just like makes you feel so happy for him that when she has the affair it's like gut-wrenching where you're like why why are you doing this like you have a perfect life you have a house you have a husband that loves you like what more do you want here And I think the whole, like, her, like, there's one sentence that really bothered me for some reason, where they were traveling together in Europe, and she refused, Moshimi refused to let Nikhil take pictures of her, because he, she was like, I would hate to be mistaken for a tourist here. I noticed that too, and I highlighted it, and I, I felt like for her, it's like, she can't even feel at home or or, like, she wants to feel like she belongs, even in a foreign country. Like, mm-hmm. they don't look French. They are American. No one expects you to belong, but she's, like, trying to fit in in this foreign country. And, like, while I read Gogol through the theme of guilt, I felt like a lot of the governing emotion for Moshimi was regret, which I think guilt and regret are related emotions. Mm-hmm. But regret... I don't know if mature is the right word, but regret almost feels a little bit more distant than guilt, where you regret something, but you can move on with it. Whereas guilt is kind of an all-consuming emotion where it's governing a lot of your thoughts and behaviors. And so Moshmi like has these regrets, but it doesn't suck her in the way I think goals guilt kind of sucks him in. Moshmi deals with her regret or guilt by running away like she runs away from her husband she runs away from home she runs like she doesn't 
she doesn't let it sit. That's what Gogol does. He sits with his emotions a lot. He doesn't act on them. And I think that's also kind of good in a way because you kind of have to let those feelings, you have to let yourself feel those feelings in order to deal with them. And I think Mashami never really deals with her emotions. I think she just runs away from them. And and, and going back to the, to the name thing that you were talking about, do you think it's related in any way that the person that Maoshimi goes back to is someone that doesn't call her by her own name? They call, Dimitri calls her Mouse. Yeah, that's a good point. And she even has this part where she talks about how he called her that and she was both irritated and she liked it. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like she doesn't like her name either. And and in that same party where she lets it slip what Gogol's name is, actually Google, she says what her name means and she says damp a damp southwesterly breeze and I didn't until this time reading it and seeing those words put it together that it's monsoon it's like mosam moshmi oh it's a monsoon I didn't, do that. I didn't yeah and I, didn't. I was like I was like damp southwesterly breeze is a really weird way for <laughs> word monsoon. monsoon yes I forgot in this book how much explaining is done there were a lot of times where I felt like our culture was being explained, like the difference between your regular name and your nickname or pet name, like different foods, like cultural nuances, which is interesting because that makes it seem like the intended audience isn't South Asians, even though it is describing something that a lot of South Asian immigrants can relate to. Yeah, I kind of like that, though. It's written in a way that a, a non-Indian could read it and still enjoy this book thoroughly. But if you have the interest in like, oh, what's, I think they have a, a part where they talk about how they only eat dal and rice for like the portion of um, the mourning period after Ashok passes away. As a non-Indian reading that, you would be like, oh, what's dal and rice? Like what, that's a, such a like a, a common thing for us to ha- have for dinner like an average American may not know what dal and rice is and the fact that they explain it is like one step in normalizing like Indian culture in a way I guess one of the other things I wanted to talk about was the author's presence in the book there's a lot when I was reading that I felt like I was reading Jimbalahiri's views and actually the book is very personally based her name is Nilanjana Sudesh Lahiri, and she adopted the name Chumba because her kindergarten teacher decided it was easier to say her nickname than her full name. And she had a cousin whose pet name was Gogol. And so this is all very personally based. And I felt like I saw a lot of her viewpoint throughout the con- throughout the book. And I just thought that was interesting because a lot of the ways I read books in general is from a distance from the author. There's this essay and like literary theory called the death of the author by Roland Barthes that the author is a concept because first of all the author as a concept is a pretty new one in history and since stories have been around they've been passed on by oral tradition and it's never really credited to a person who came up with them it's more the story itself and so this new concept of the author made everyone start thinking like what is who's the person who's putting these views down but in this essay, he argues that it doesn't matter. So when you're in like lit class thinking, oh, why are the curtains blue? What did the author mean by that? It doesn't matter what the author meant. As soon as the words are put on paper, it's up to the reader and it's a text in and of itself. And I think that's a valuable theory for a lot of books. And 
I like that theory because you're not it leaves you with more freedom to interpret in the way you want rather than constraining yourself to what the author thinks. But I think in this book, I couldn't use that lens. I felt like there was too much of the author in it. And some of the things she said about the United States or about a new culture, you can tell that she has a really complicated and probably unresolved relationship with being an immigrant and with the United States. So I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and I think that kind of tracks like those feelings that you mentioned tracks with how the book ended as well, because the book doesn't end in like a happy ending. Like we mentioned earlier, there is a lot of conflict at the end of the book still. Like, I think the the biggest question with this book is, do you think that Gogol ever actually found his identity going to the end? Maybe that's the start of him like finding his identity for the first time because he's alone he's divorced now he has his family and he's finally picking up the overcoat that's where his identity story begins maybe goes hand in hand with the author's feelings as well that like that finding your identity is constantly an an ongoing process it's not like even right now in my state of who I am I don't feel like oh I've really found myself now because, I mean, we're, we're young and we still have a lot of life experiences to go through and who we are is always going to be changing. That kind of open-ended, like, who is Gogol? We don't really get that closure. I don't think he did. And what you say makes sense that it's a constant process. And and I guess that's like one of the, not moral, but one of the big themes in the book is how identity is fluid and also never completely solid or grounded like you always feel a little bit like you're floating somewhere and I think one of the turning points in the book was when the father dies I think when Ashok dies unfortunately that's kind of like a wake-up call to Gogol um, about his family about his culture and and it reminds me of the orphan trope in literature where like Harry Potter or Oliver Twist Matilda all these characters have either terrible parents or no parents, which from a literary perspective allows them to fully define who they are without being tethered to the past. And that's what that reminded me of. And it's sad that it happened because his father died. But I do think that was one of the turning points in the book. I think I know we talked about Maoshimi, but we didn't really talk about Maxine. Speaking about um, Ashok's death, I feel like that ties into his relationship with Maxine a lot because once he started dating Maxine, he kind of hit the ground running away from who he was. He was just delving into like everything that was the opposite of everything that he knew with Maxine's life. And like you said, um, Ashok's passing was like his wake up call to that kind of fever dream that he was living and when he maybe realized that this wasn't him and what he was doing wasn't making him happy. Yeah, he almost had to be with the opposite to realize. I mean, the whole time he treats her parents like his parents. He's living with them and he says he's talking about his parents and he tells her whatever love exists between them is an utterly private, uncelebrated thing. That's so depressing, Maxine says when he confesses this fact to her. And though it upsets him to hear her reaction, he can't help but agree. And I felt frustrated with him at that point because I think 
it's a little immature to be 30 and not be able to recognize something between your parents or at least not even ask them what their relationship is like and just have your own assumptions based on your own personal views. But I think there's a lot of little instances like that where she says something or he notices a discrepancy in their values or the lifestyles that add up. And then when Ashok dies, it's kind of a wake up call and he realizes all of that in context. What do you think about how Ashok's passing affected Ashima? I was really impressed by her reaction. Immigrant life is kind of like you have to take everything in stride, but Mm -hmm. it's hard to apply that to like your life partners dies very soon, very unexpectedly. Um, You're not even with them. Like he was in Ohio or something during, during that time. Yeah. And I think, I felt like her reaction was more mature. I think she was able to let go of a lot. And part of that is she was physically letting go of stuff. She gave away all of their things. She was going to move out of that house um, without allowing it to bog her down. I think she could have felt a lot of guilt from what happened by not being there, by not recognizing he was sick and just everything. But I think she moves on a lot better than Gogol does. Yeah, and I think that kind of goes into this theme, a theme of Gogol's obsession with being buried instead of cremated. It starts off for the first time when um, Gogol goes on that field trip and he goes to the graveyard. And because it's not the Hindu way, Gogol's mom, Ashima, is disgusted, but Gogol kind of secretly enjoyed it when Maxine's parents visit a graveyard he kind of feel it kind of feels like he has a longing for like a permanent memoir to exist and even after Ashok passes he looks at a picture of Ashok and I think the line says something about how this is the closest thing to a graveyard that his father will ever have which is the picture of him in the household that obsession with like being buried versus cremated kind of ties into the whole not being able to let go thing because even when Gogol goes to the Cleveland house to clean it out and Ashima is like don't bring anything it's not our way like but Gogol can't physically do that like he wants to stay there he has a longing to stay there he's like clinging on to like the last parts of his of his father's life that also is an identity related issue as well because all of his friends and everybody he grew up with, their way is to bury them and visit their grave and show respect in that way and keep memoirs and like hold on to things that mean something to them. Where as Ashima is not, that's not the hint, the traditional Hindu way. So she's very against it. Yeah, that's a really good point. I never noticed how those initial scenes with the graveyard and then with Maxine's family kind of foreshadowed his reaction to his dad's death. And Ashima's not wanting to hold on to anything, like being okay with the body being cremated. You're literally ridding everything of that person and all you have are the memories, which I guess allows her to move on quickly. And Mm -hmm. he doesn't seem to really, he wants to hold on, but he has no concrete way to hold on. And so he's in between and, and can't really reconcile himself to that. Yeah. Other question I had is, what is the purpose of Sonia in this book? <laughs> She's so absent. Like, she exists as his sister, and she plays no role. I thought 
honestly, I thought the book was mostly well constructed, but I think having a younger sister and barely alluding to her was a clumsy addition to the book. I don't know. What did you think about her? I don't know. Having a sibling just adds to the character development of the plot line of the story, I guess, is that like I think when when someone does have like a sibling that they can lean on, like especially when they're visiting India together as children, it's a little bit easier to lean on somebody when you're going through the same things together. I feel like she definitely played a greater role when they were kids. But once she started to grow up, she yeah, it was kind of she was just kind of like there, I guess, but not really talked about. Um, did you have a passage that you felt like stood out to you during the while you're reading the book? Yes, I did. So the passage I picked is shortly after Ashok dies and it's about Ashima. I think a lot of the book so the whole book is in present tense which I think was an interesting choice I think putting a book in a present tense creates more of a raw unfiltered kind of emotion compared to past tense you think of the character having reflected on something rather than going through it at the time so um, I picked this passage because I thought it it captured that raw emotion really well She stares at her empty teacup and then at the kettle on the stove, which she'd have to turn off in order to hear her husband's voice just a few hours ago. She begins to shiver violently, the house instantly feeling 20 degrees colder. She pulls her sari tightly around her shoulders like a shawl. She gets up and systematically through the rooms of the house, turning on all the light switches, turning on the lamppost on the lawn and the floodlight over the garage, as if she and Ashok are expecting company. She returns to the kitchen and stares at the pile of cards on the table in the red envelopes it had pleased her so much to buy, most of them ready to be dropped in the mailbox. Her husband's name is on all of them. You just got goosebumps. And I think in this passage, she also does a good job of of describing how sterile the environment is. It just sounds so bleak and cold. And I I found myself thinking of just the difference in how life is in India compared to here it's so there's so much more life like there's a the presence of life is more known in India there's always people in the house you can always hear people outside there's always like some kind of smell coming from the kitchen of food being cooked and and she describes really well how empty it is and even emptier than when they host people and try to create that environment for themselves in in Boston? I think they're in Massachusetts. Yeah, Cambridge. Yeah. If there was a sequel to this book, what what would you think would happen in that book? I could see a sequel being about Ashima. She kind of ends starting a new transition where she is going to be going back and forth between her kids' houses in the States and her brother's house in India. And I think that could be difficult in a lot of ways. And seeing from her perspective how her son grows up because even though we get some of her perspective in the book we don't get a lot about how she thinks about her children like what she thinks her children are going through we just get her perspective on being a mother by herself and kind of her views on it so I think I think it would be about that yeah did you also did you know that this was a movie 
that yes, Cal Penn is I in. I did know this is a movie, but have I haven't you seen, seen it. it? No, I haven't, I haven't either. I feel like we should have seen it just to compare the two, but Cal Penn, I think Cal Penn is in it. Yeah, and Tab- Tabu is the mom, and mm. Irfan Khan is the dad. Wait, really? Those yeah. are like big actors. How I have know. I never heard of this? We should watch it. So right. now that we've talked about all the different parts of the book, it's time to filter the chai. We will give our overall opinion, rate the book. Uh, so what was your overall rating out of 10 and and why do you think so? Overall, I gave it a 8.5. I, for some reason, going into reading this book for a second time, I had the assumption that I maybe wouldn't like it as much because the first time I read it was when I was a teenager and I remember liking it. So I was like, then it was probably like a very immature, easy read, but it actually was very complex and like overall, I just really enjoyed the book. I would give it a 7.5 out of 10. I think I actually was more inclined to give it a lower score. I was thinking about... Yeah, I was thinking about giving it a 6 out of 10. Just because really? the whole book, I was so <laughs> angry and irritated by Gogol. He felt like he was being ungrateful and just... I feel like we've all had that experience of knowing people who just try to shun their culture and are ashamed by it. And it's so frustrating because it almost feeds into historical prejudice against immigrants and South Asians. And it's just frustrating. So I felt so much of the book that I was just irritated with him. <laughs> but I think talking about it and thinking about the different themes and and how it does a good job of capturing this lack of identity and difference among generations, I bumped it up to a 7.5. <laughs> it is also important to contextualize the book. I think the time in which he was writing it and when it was set was a different generation of first-generation immigrants, there was like kind of a wave of people who came here in the 60s. And so the first generation for them would now be our parents' age, even though it was our parents who were the ones who immigrated here. By the time they got here, there's probably a much larger presence of South Asian community and things like that. And so I guess that's important to put in context also, but I just felt like by the end of the book, he should have reconciled himself more to it. Like, even if he didn't want to participate that much in Indian culture, he shouldn't have been so ashamed by it. So that was my frustration with him. But it's not like there aren't people like that in the world. It's a realistic character description. But um, do you think this book stands the test of time? Do you think that in 100 years we should be reading this and it's still going to be applicable and relatable? The immigration experience is always going to be something that's relatable to people because it's something that people are constantly doing and something that people should be aware of as well. For for an average American whose parents were born and brought up here, the immigration experience is something that they don't know anything about. So in that sense, I feel like it is a, a, a book that I think should be a classic and does have a sense of timelessness to it. However, I will say that there's some traditional aspects that may not be relatable to like for second generation or third generation immigrants as we have children when our children have children the thing that makes a book timeless or not is would I would I show my kids this book and I think the answer to that question is yes I would show my kids this book I struggled to answer this question I think (laughs) I agree the immigrant experience is a very unique one and it's not just one experience it's multiple 
And so you have to kind of hear different stories to be able to relate to it better. There has been a lot more, I mean, people in general are a little more socially aware now than they probably were 20 or 30 years ago. And I think there's a lot of books and literature now by immigrants and by people of color. Um, And so I was trying to figure out, do I think this one specifically should be a classic compared to some of the others? And I think, yes, because I think it does a good job of capturing a very specific emotion or feeling of emptiness, um, like we said, across generations and and how that doesn't get resolved and how it's something that you always are struggling with. Okay, let's move on to shelf discovery. Um, the book that I picked isn't necessarily isn't necessarily the same vibe as the namesake, but I did also like this book. It's A Thousand Splendid Sons by Khalid Hosseini. It's a more tragic story and it's set in a more unforgiving time. It has a similar storyline where it talks about multi-generational characters um, and it has three decades of Afghan history. And I think that if you like the namesake that you might enjoy this book as well. So I have two picks. The first one is Passing by Nella Larson. It is a book. It's almost a novella. It's pretty short. It's set in New York during the Harlem Renaissance. And it's about a woman who basically passes for white. She's black, but she looks white. And so it talks a lot about identity and belonging and being true to yourself. And it's also pretty sad, but um, it's really beautifully written and I think covers some of the same themes. And then my other book is Such a Long Journey by Rohinton Mystery. He is a Parsi Indian who writes a lot about Parsi characters in Bombay and in India. And it's not about the immigrant experience, but I think it deals with a lot of family tension and problems among communities. And he captures some of the same kind of sad and yearning feeling uh, with really good characters and and plot. So those are my two recommendations. What book are we doing next? Next time, we are reading The Night Watchman by Louise Erdrich. She is a prolific author. She's written 18 other very proclaimed books. 18? Highly, yeah, highly proclaimed wow. books. I want to read some of them, uh, other ones, but we'll start with this one. And uh, it actually won the Pulitzer Prize last year. Great. I'm excited. Thanks for listening to The Novelty. We are your hosts, Neha and Triti, and our music is created by Apurva Koti. We love to hear from you, so send us book recommendations, episode commentary, or even critical feedback. You can find us on Instagram at thenovelty.pod or email us at thenovelty.pod at gmail.com. Until next time, happy reading.